0: Today's scripture is, My Refuge and My Fortress, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear bear you up With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation word of the lord be to God.
1: Today for Veterans Day we are looking at this the 91st psalm sometimes called the soldier's psalm because of all the war like imagery in it and the talk of god's care and provision There is actually a lot of warfare talked about in the Psalms, a great deal due to the fact that uh, David wrote a number of the Psalms, or a number of the Psalms were written in his honor, and he spent a lot of his life as a warrior. The Jewish rabbis call this Psalm the Amulet Psalm. Apparently, even going back to ancient uh, Israel, people saw this Psalm as a little bit of a good luck charm. The idea was that if you quoted this and you went to battle, you would survive. Or people would apparently get stones and maybe write 91 on them, or write Psalm 91 or pieces of the psalm in Hebrew, and would carry it in their pocket as if a good luck charm. This psalm has also been used, not just in ancient Israel, but been used in the military. How many of you who have served in the military are pretty familiar with this psalm? Uh, it's a psalm that comes up, and it's a psalm. There's a card down here on the table for Operation Desert Shield that has Psalm 91 that was given out to soldiers uh, when they first went over to the Middle East. Um, and that was not issued by the chaplains, it was issued by the military. They paid for the cards with the Psalm 91 to be able to give out to the troops. Okay? This psalm has been an important psalm for the military. In part because of a story that um, seems maybe somewhat true and maybe somewhat legend about the 91st Brigade in World War I that used this psalm. Uh, they would recite this psalm every day. They were taking heavy casualties and the chaplain, knowing it was the 91st Brigade, had them read this psalm. And uh, depending on where the story is told, their casualties went down dramatically or went down completely um, little hard to verify, but ever since, especially World War I and World War II, this psalm has been a major part of Christians in their service in the military. Now, this use of the psalm as a sort of a, um, a safety net has its problems, right? And I think we could all probably see that. Uh, this is not a psalm that is a get-out-of-danger-free card. God is not a good luck charm, and the Bible is not a rabbit's foot in your pocket. Okay? And I think the idea that the rabbis called this the amulet psalm kind of points to that. that. Some people saw this as this good luck charm. But on the other hand, there is something very powerful about holding tight to the promises of God to obstinately clinging to the hope of Christ in the face of danger, finding strength in the promises of Scripture. So let's explore for a few minutes Psalm 91 together. It starts out like most Psalms do with an introduction. That's verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The text says that good things happen to those who dwell in the shelter of God and abide in His shadow. This implies two possibilities: that it's possible to abide with Christ, that it is possible to live your life in the shelter of God, but it also implies that it's possible not to. It also implies that you can decide not to live in the shelter. To, of God, and instead to find shelter in other things. This is something we as Christians wrestle with all the time. Where, what am I trusting in? What am I putting my faith in? Where am I looking for shelter? Is it myself, my family, my name, my reputation, my status, my employer, my armory? What is it? What is your ultimate refuge and fortress? What are you relying on and running are you running to? Psalm says, you got some choices. But good things happen to those who find their refuge and their strength in the Lord. The psalm continues with more imagery of war, but, but also another set of images. Listen for them. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. See, God gives these images here in the psalm of traps, right? Of refuge, of shields, of bucklers, of fearing arrows. A lot of warfare imagery. But in the middle of it, did you understand the other one? The other image a very much not warfare image, that of a mother bird. The snare of the fowler is a, is a trap to catch birds. And the psalmist uses that imagery to say that God is uh, caring, putting his wing over you, putting his pinions, that's the end of the wing, over you. So we, here we have this this. Almost contracts, juxtaposition of two images, a warrior God who is strong and mighty for you and a loving God who cares and protects and pulls you under their wing. Almost a mother and a father image here. Verse 9 and 10 say that, and this is where we need to be careful. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. This is written as if-then language. It's written as conditional. Since you did this, nothing bad will happen to you. No evil will befall you. Well, the problem with that is, I know plenty of really good people that evil has befallen them. Plenty of Christian soldiers who did not return who prayed this psalm. How do we explain how evil and pain come to those who trust in the Lord? Well, isn't that the question we all would love to have answered? Think of Stephen, the very first deacon and the very first martyr who in Acts is killed because of the care he has for others in Christ's name. How would Stephen have read this psalm? The Bible is full of these kinds of scriptures that say that God will be with us and God will be for us, and yet at the same time, We can feel those moments where we're not so sure. This psalm is not so simplistic as to think that evil and challenge and sword and gun will never strike the follower of God. I just don't think that it's what it's trying to say. You have to read the text in light of the other passages. And this is part of the challenge with scripture. But I think this psalm is written to give hope and courage. It is written to help the soldier, the infirmed grandparent, the estranged mother, the prodigal child. To say, you know, when those times are bad and you're near snares and you're near difficulty and you feel arrows flying all around you, keep your trust in the Lord and keep going. Keep going. He will command his angels around you. He will keep you from the venomous snake and from the lion. It's interesting that this psalm is actually quoted in the temptation of Jesus in Luke. If you remember, Satan says to throw yourself off of the building because his angels will protect you and your foot won't be hurt on the rock. Satan quotes this scripture. Almost as if he's tempting Jesus to read this as a promise that you should test. Almost as if he's saying, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and see if this scripture is one to be lived by. But Jesus responds that you should not put God to the test. Jesus responds clearly. This is not a text to be read superstitiously, but it is an encouragement to faith. Then in verse 14 of this passage, there's a really strange thing that happens. In fact, it almost never happens in the Psalms. This is one of the only examples of it. The Psalms is this book of prayers where we pray to God. Okay? Um, and you, you know some of those Psalms. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes they're Psalms of lament. Sometimes it's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But see, those are all prayers that we pray to God. It's really fascinating in this psalm, almost nowhere else in the psalms does this happen that the voice is put in the voice of God later in the psalm. Verse 14 and following. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. See, now it's God talking. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, God speaks in this psalm. And God almost never speaks in the psalms. It's all to God. But in this psalm, God speaks. and has this great, great set of verbs of what God will do. And a lot of you are going through a lot of stuff right now. Listen to these words of God to you. I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you, I will rescue you, I will honor you, I will satisfy you, and I will show you my salvation. The key to that promise is that we are to hold fast. What does verse 14 says? Because he holds fast, I will do all these things. That doesn't mean that we will be spared Uh, all the pains of this world doesn't mean that we will be protected from everything it just means that God will be with us and we look forward to this day coming where somehow all the rights of this world will be made wrong where even the bad parts of our story someday I believe we are going to see God redeem those things and we are going to see good come out of those things So there is a reason that soldiers have always found comfort, strength, and courage in this psalm. There's something about battle that requires faith in a God who is strong and with you. And there's something about battle and the danger of your life where the idea of God as a caring mother bird, as a caring father who protects you, is something to cling to. So maybe you should read this psalm. Maybe you should put Psalm 91 in your pocket. Maybe you should put it on the mirror so when you get ready at the beginning of the day, there's that psalm. Not as a good luck charm. Not as an amulet like the Hebrews might have done back in the day. But maybe you need to look at it as a promise. That though life is hard, you can have courage and keep going because Christ is With you. I want to end by telling the story of a couple people that understood how to have that kind of courage. This is a true story called The Four Chaplains, sometimes called The Immortal Chaplains or The Dorchester Chaplains. They were four young chaplains that were on the USS, the troop ship, the SS Dorchester during World War II. They were a Methodist minister named George L. Fox, a Reformed rabbi, a Jewish chaplain named Alexander Good, a Roman Catholic priest named John Washington, and a Reformed Church of America pastor named Clark Poling. They were on the troop ship SS Dorchester, and in the early morning of February 3, 1943, a German U-boat torpedoed, that ship. They had been on high alert. Soldiers were told to sleep with yeah, dress and with their life jackets on, though it was clear that not everyone did that. When the torpedo hit, uh, it damaged the electrical system. So we have a ship full of 904 soldiers, okay, and they're being transported. They're on high alert so they know what happened, and the electricity in the whole boat goes off. No lights. No, nothing. There was a complete panic. The chaplains, these four chaplains, found their way to the deck and began to try to calm soldiers. They began to try to get soldiers to the right place. As they ran out of life jackets, these four soldiers gave up their life jackets um, to a lot of the troops. They did not have enough um, lifeboats. So many of soldiers really, in the end, had to just be in the water and wait to be saved. Those chaplains stayed on that ship until the very end. One of the survivors, Grady Clark, described it this way. As I swam away from the ship, I looked back. The flares had lighted everything. The bow came up high, and she slid under. And the last thing I saw, the four chaplains were up pay- praying for the safety of the men. They had done everything they could. I did not see them again. They themselves did not have a chance without their life jackets. Indeed, a lot of soldiers died with life jackets. Uh, The water was so cold. Of the 904 men, 230 survived that day. This year, this past February, marked the 75-year anniversary of that story. Others who had written testimony about this said they could remember the chaplain singing hymns. Among the chaos, they could hear hymns, including some in Hebrew, because the one was a Jewish rabbi. They made the ultimate sacrifice for those around them. So may we be grateful for the sacrifices that were made for us, starting with Jesus who gave up his life, but also remembering those who gave up much of their lives, much of their sanity, much of their health, even if they didn't give up their lives. For us, may we remember their families and may we be inspired by their example and by Psalm 91 to live a life of courage, of bravery, and of trust in our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.